Well, hey, let's celebrate being at church together today, can we? Man, I'm so glad to be in this house today. If you're with us online, online family, we love you so much. Make sure you let us know in the chat. I always do this. Type in the chat uh, where you're watching from and how we can pray for you uh, today. So I have the privilege of introducing uh, my friend Paul this morning, and I'm so excited uh, to have him sharing God's Word. Uh, We actually took a rest week this week as a staff. uh, Many of you know we have a Wednesday service, and we're always about two or three days from making another service happening and, and hosting people. And so we said, hey, let's just take a week and uh, take Wednesday off. And so I'm actually resting this morning, and I get to enjoy a message and a service uh, here today. And so uh, Paul is a chaplain with the U.S. Army, and uh, so go Army. we got some Army people here, I'm sure. Uh, any Air Force people in the room? Uh, we love you, too. We love you, too. All right. Bro, you're outnumbered. I can tell you're outnumbered in hey, the room love here today. Them when they're flying our planes. So okay, God bless you. that's God bless them. Hey, Paul and I have been uh, getting to know each other for a while now, and uh, Paul, you are an encourager. I just appreciate you so much. Um, I'm careful about how I give away my phone number, but Paul asked for it really early on. He was like, "Hey, can I text you?" And I was like, "I don't know. I don't know what you're going to send to me." And Paul texts me almost every Sunday, uh, just an encouraging word about what I preach, and I just want you to know that means a lot to me. Uh, that's just been huge, just encouragement to me. And so Paul's been a pastor for over 20 years, has done a lot of really incredible things, and so I'm really excited to hear what God has to say uh, through him in our counterculture series today. So welcome, Paul, today, would you? Thank you, Thank you. All right. Well, good morning. Well, as you know, my name is Paul. Let me tell you a couple things about myself. Uh, I'm a husband. I've been married for this August. will be 26 years, so i um, pretty excited about that. That's my wife right there, right? so 26 years. And let me show you a picture of my family, all right? This is my family. Um, We have six daughters, okay? Ranging from 20 to 12. That means I live with seven ladies, which means there's never a shortage of opinions about how I ought to conduct myself. So it's a beautiful life. Very, very much love it. Um, Been a pastor. I was a pastor for 21 years. Been a chaplain now. uh, Airborne. It's a beautiful life. Uh, So looking forward to this. Um, Hey, I just think, could we just take a minute and acknowledge what, it is so awesome to be a part of a church like ACF. I will tell you, um, so I was a pastor for a good number of years, and uh, so I've obviously had the experience of being in my own church and lots of other churches, and now that I've been in the army for a minute, um, I've been able to see all kinds of different churches. And I will tell you uh, that what God is doing here in Eagle River is unique and it's beautiful, and you should not take it for granted. It's a beautiful thing, and so it's, uh, we, we love our church, and uh, we particularly love our, our pastors. We love Pastor Brian. You know, he, sends, I, he says I send him encouraging texts. It's not hard. Because every Sunday is good stuff. I literally, I'll, I'll go home and I'll say to Sarah, I'll be like, I don't think he can be better. And then he does it the next week, he's better. And so it's just, I, I love Pastor Brian, I love you, I honor you. Uh, Pastor Stewart, where's Britt? Oh, this is awkward. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, Britt's amazing. We love, we love all of our pastors, except Pastor Josh. Don't like Pastor Josh that much. Let me tell you why. It's a few months ago, snow's about up to here, y'all remember that, right? And uh, it was a Friday, and I had decided to do a grueling leg work out on Friday, which is the right thing to do because we do leg day, right? If you don't do leg day, you should leave church, okay? You should just... But we do leg day, so we did it on Friday. It was a brutal workout. So afterwards, Pastor Josh calls. He's like, hey, man. I was like, hey, man. He's like, do you want to go uh, hike Baldy? And I'm like, well, sure, because any mountain named Baldy sounds like a gentle trek. I know now. And then what else I didn't know was that Josh is a, he runs up and down mountains. Did y'all know that? Pastor Josh says that. In fact, this is what he told me. We got there, he said, before we even started, he said, hey, the last time I did this, it took me 27 minutes, and this is when there's stupid high snow, to get from my car to the top of the mountain and back. So I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm like, great. Let me show you a picture. 
Not easy. In fact, when we finally descended the mountain, well, let me tell you this. On the way down, Malia, Josh's lovely wife, had a great idea. She's like, hey, let's go down a different way. And so we started post holing. Y'all know what post holing is, right? You take a step and you're in the snow up to here, and then you take another step. Keep in mind the old legs are sore from the previous day's activities. So now we're post holing the whole way down. And then she's like, well, y'all aren't doing so well, so maybe we should just slide down on our bottoms. And so we said, well, that sounds like a great idea. We're on top of a ridiculously high mountain. At least for us it was, because we came from South Carolina. So we sat down on our bottoms, we started to slide, and there was nothing to stop us. And so we went so fast, we literally started end over end, no joke, end over end over end. And there was, and, and my wife was going down, Sherry was going down, I was going down like I thought I actually may see Jesus at the end of the day. Josh introduced me to Jesus. <laughs> so... Uh, we finally get stopped because we hit a tree, uh, one of those little trees, and some guy on the other side was like, are you guys okay? Like, he was freaking out. I'm like, yeah, we're with Josh. He's like, oh my God, right? So, um, but we, we made it, and uh, I'm working to forgive Josh and, and move to a place where I love him deeply once again. So, y'all pray for me. Hey, I, I, uh, I want to matter. You know, I want to, like, be important in, in someone's life. I want to I matter to my wife. Like, I want my wife to, to say, uh, I'm, a, I'm a better lady because Paul is my husband. I want to matter to her. I want to matter to my kids, you know? I want my kids to, to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm a better person because of my father. Like, he has been a significant player in my life. He's added value to my life. To my paratroopers, you know, I want them to say, I'm glad he's my chap because he, he adds value. He, he's important. He matters in my life. I want to matter in my neighborhood. I want to matter in in my church. I want to matter today. Actually, I hope that at the end of today when you walk out that that you'll get in your car and you'll say things like, man, the things we talked about today makes me, I want to, I need to start thinking differently. Maybe there's some things I need to do differently. I want to matter. And I mean, do you? Do you want to matter? Yeah. I mean, there's like two or three of us. Come on. (laughs) Um, So I, uh, I read an essay recently by a lady named Rebecca Goldstein. It's called The Mattering Instinct. And, and this is what she said, a couple things I want to share with you. She said, number one, the, 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 the will to survive evolves in higher creatures like us into the will to matter. So I don't just want to survive. I don't want to just make it. I don't want to just be the guy that sits in the corner and doesn't really add value. I want to matter, right? And she said that's normal in, in creatures like ourselves. We all have this desire to, to be important, to be significant, to add value, to matter. And then she said this, this is important. She said, clinical depression is when you're convinced that you don't and will never matter. So essentially she's saying it's not only normal to want to matter, it's healthy. It's healthy to want to matter. It's healthy to want to be in a relationship and want to add value, want to be significant. It's it's healthy to be on a team and and want to matter. So um, really, I'm, I'm pretty fairly confident that most of us in this room would say, I, I do want to matter. And, and we matter, we, we measure whether or not we matter by, by things like this. We, we look at the number of followers and likes we have on social media. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, you post something and then five minutes later you look. Has anyone liked it yet? Anyone liked it yet? Like, I know I'm not the only person in the room that does that. Okay, so we, we look, right? Uh, we, we measure whether or not we matter by our salary, Right? Does my organization think I'm adding value to them, and is that reflected in my salary? We matter. Uh, we, we measure whether or not we matter by the people who ask our opinions. You know, if, if your peers are asking you, hey, what do you think? What, what should I do here? What would you do? If you're hearing those kinds of questions, you're like, you know what? I, I matter. I'm adding significance to this relationship, and that's important. And, and we, we measure whether or not we matter by the groups to which we're invited to belong. Right? So you look at your friend group, you look at the organizations, the clubs, the, the communities that you're a part of, and you can, de- you can determine whether or not you matter. And here's the truth. If you belong to a group in which you're never asked to participate, in which no one ever checks it to see if you're there or if you're missing, it won't be long till you leave, will it? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't really matter here. I'm not significant here. I'm going to probably just slide away and no one, even, no one will even know. So really, here's the truth. We're, we're all looking to answer this question right here. Do I matter? Do I matter? Am I important in the relationships? Am I important in my workplace? Am I, am I adding value? Do I matter? So let me ask you a question, a little, little group participation here. Um, if I were to ask you, the two to three individuals in your life who matter or who have mattered the most in your life, who might they be? 
So just look at the person to your right or your left. That doesn't matter. Just give them two or three names of people who matter greatly in your life or who have mattered greatly in your life. Go. And I'll just give you this. Husbands, if your wife is sitting next to you, you might want to include her in that list. Just a pro tip. All right, here we go. Let me ask you another question. In your opinion, who are two to three people who are the most historically significant individuals? They've, they've shaped our world. They've shaped culture. They've shaped our nation. In, in your opinion, who are the two to three most historically significant individuals? Go ahead. Take a minute. Tell your neighbor. All right. All right, y'all getting carried away here. You ready? Let's get back to church. <laughs> okay, hey, let me ask you a question. Did the name Jesus pop up anywhere? Oh, good for you. I mean, good for you. I mean, you're in church, right? It should probably should pop up. But hey, here's the here's thing. Um, I will tell you, for, for a lot of us in this room, maybe not everyone, but for a lot of us in this room um, and, and who are watching online, uh, Jesus is a very significant individual. He matters significantly. In fact, one of the things I tell my girls all the time is like, hey, your mom is the second best decision I've ever made in my life. And I quickly follow that with Jesus is the best, right? He's, he's made a significant difference in my life. When I decided to follow Jesus, I started thinking about money different. I handled conflict differently. I handled stress differently. I think about relationships differently. Like Jesus is just absolutely the most significant player in my life. Now, some of you may have not said that because sometimes he's so, he is so significant that we just kind of forget about it, right? Well, of course he's significant. Of course he matters. I wasn't really thinking like that, right? Some of you may have done that, and that's fine. But um, I think most of us would agree that Jesus is a fairly significant individual. He matters a lot. Now, I would just say that if Jesus matters that much personally, and he's that significant historically, that he might actually have some things to say to us about how to live a life that matters, how to live a life that adds value, that's significant. Like, people want you around because you matter. I think he does. Um, and he, he fleshes this out, as a matter of fact, in uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. And believe it or not, it's pretty doggone countercultural, which is the whole series we're in. The things that Jesus talks to us about pretty much go against the stream of, of culture. And so let me, let's just flesh it out a little bit. Um, Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 38. Grab your Bible, grab your phone. It's going to be on the screen. And uh, here we go. Let me give you a little context. Jesus had been out with his disciples. They'd been traveling for a bit. They'd been, he'd been teaching. They would, they'd go to a city and he'd stop and teach. And then along the way, they'd, they'd have conversations. And they've just been getting after it for several days now. And um, they, uh, they'd stopped for a bit. So Jesus pulled his disciples and said, y'all, y'all come over here. Uh, I want to teach you some things. And so that's where we pick up the story in Mark's biography of Jesus. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's himself, he began to teach them that that he was going to suffer many things. He was going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he was going to be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. He was going to suffer, he was going to be rejected, and he was going to be killed. Okay? And then Mark said, he, he said this plainly. Uh, Brene Brown, I don't know if you're familiar with her, great author. She says that clear is kind, unclear is unkind. So Jesus was very kindly explaining to his friends and his followers, he's like, hey, in a a bit here, we're going to go through some really difficult days. We're going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm even going to get killed. Like, it's just some, some tough days that are coming ahead of us. Now, Mark says, um, as this was unfolding, Peter, one of Jesus' friends, one of his followers, took him aside and began to say it with me, rebuke him. Rebuke. Okay? Um, it's a pretty aggressive move by Peter. So before, I'm going to dig in that. Before I do that, I actually want to uh, give, you, give you some context. There's something that had happened a day or so earlier that you need to know. Um, again, they had been in their journeys. They'd been traveling, talking, doing some teaching, helping people along the way. Uh, and they had a conversation that went like this just a few verses earlier. It had happened a couple days before. Uh, Jesus had asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? 
guys, as you're, as you're out, you're listening, you're hearing people talk, who are they saying that I am? And they, this is what they said. They said, well, Jesus, people were saying that, that you're, you're Elijah. Um, some were saying that you're John the Baptist. Some were saying that you're one of the prophets. Now, you need to know that back in that day, that was kind of significant. Like, the, his followers, his disciples were looking at him and saying, Jesus, what we're hearing is that people think you're pretty important. People think you're, you're, you matter a lot. Like, you're significant. This is what we're hearing. And so Jesus looked at him and he said, well, let, let me ask you this. Who do you say that I am? I mean, you're, you're close to me. You spend more time with me than anyone else. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. Now, that's, that's kind of a big deal because, like, Elijah, John the Baptist, the prophets, they're all, they're, they're doing good stuff. They're historically significant feet. Uh, individuals, but to say you're the Christ is to be like, you're the guy. Like, you're the one. You're the guy who's going to fix our problems. You're the guy that's going to save the world. You're the one. Like, you are the most significant one. You matter the most. So, Peter, who had just said, Jesus, you're the Christ, now here's Jesus saying, well, I'm, I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to be rejected. And I'm going to die. And I don't know what goes on in Peter's head, but I'm thinking probably he's thinking like, that's not, that's not the right thing. Because people who are significant, and people who matter, and people who are building a big platform, and people who are doing big things, they don't suffer, and they're not rejected, and they're not, they're not the ones who are dying. It's, so he pulled him aside. He's like, Jesus, listen, man. I don't know exactly what he said, but I'd imagine it went a little something like this. Jesus, listen, you're doing great things got a massive crowd. I mean, just look out at all the people that are following. Look at all the people that you're helping. Look at your Instagram page, man. You're over a million views. Like, you're, like people are all over. They're, they're tracking. You're helping people. All of the significant leaders in the world, they're, they're noticing you. Like, you matter. This, you got to stop with this suffering talk. You've got to, this whole idea of being rejected, that, that doesn't work, Jesus. And, and dying, you're, you're not going to die anytime soon uh, because you matter too much. You're the guy. You're the Christ. Now, before I want to move on, uh, I want to point something out to you. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. In fact, uh, he was the one who f- first recognized Jesus' true identity. I mean, we just read it. Who was, out of all of Jesus' friends, who was the one that looked at him and said, you're the Christ? Who was that guy? Yeah, it's Peter. Peter saw something in Jesus that, that most others didn't see. And in, in, in the very next chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 9, it's Peter along with two others, James and John, that Jesus said to them, hey, you guys come here. Everybody else, y'all stay here. But Peter, James, and John, y'all come with me. I'm, I want to take you to a one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-experienced-again worship encounter with God. Right? Peter, I want you to be part of this. It was Peter who would later write he was one of the very few apostles who would actually write a letter that would end up in our Bible. So Peter was not a lightweight. He's a significant player. He knew Jesus. Jesus trusted him. He put him in significant leadership positions. But who was the first person to push back and push back hard when Jesus began to explain his calling from God? Who was that guy? It's Peter. And I would just say this to you. As you begin to passionately follow Jesus in your life, there is a high likelihood that you're going to get pushback. There's a high likelihood that people are going to look at you and say, dude, you, you need to take it down a notch. Like, you're, you're starting to be a little bit like a Jesus freak. You're starting to be weird. I mean, you've got you to take it down a notch. And the chances are it's going to be people who are closest to you. I mean, Peter did it to Jesus. So just, just know that could happen. So here, here's what goes on. Um, let me just ask you this question. What would have happened if Jesus would have looked at Peter and said, you know, Peter, you're right. I am going a little too far, aren't I? This whole suffering and, and rejection and, and death thing, I, I lost my mind. I don't know where I was going with that. I apologize, Peter. Um, in fact, you're right. I am I'm making a big difference. Look at all the crowds. Look at all the people I'm helping. Look at all the people who acknowledge me, right? So uh, you're right. I'm going to take it down a notch. Let me just tell you something. If Jesus would have followed Peter's advice, your life would be different. And mine would too. Because the way the world views significance and the way the world views suffering and, or, or significance and the way the world views mattering does not include suffering, rejection, and death. So Jesus is having this conversation with Peter. They're over to the side. 
Peter's rebuking Jesus, saying, you've got to take it down a notch, man. This isn't, this isn't how significant people who matter in this world, who, who are adding value in this world, they don't talk like this. Jesus turns around over his shoulder. He sees all the people, and this is what happens. Look. He said this. But turning and seeing his disciples, he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, let me just say something to you. When your friends push back a little bit on your strong faith, when your friends push back a little bit on your commitment, you may not want to use this exact wording. It doesn't help relationships a lot, okay? Just throwing that out there. He said, this is why he was so aggressive. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Like, Peter, you're thinking about significance, and you're thinking about a life of, that matters. You're thinking about it from a, from a worldly perspective. But I'm calling you to live a countercultural life in the way if you really want to matter in this world, if you really want to matter in relationships, if you really want to matter in the workplace, you've got to think different than the way everyone else is thinking right now. So after this little scuffle with Jesus... With Peter, Jesus looked around and he saw all of the disciples sitting there. He saw all of the crowd that was sitting there. They'd just seen this go on. And so he, he, he called them over and he leaned in and he said, y'all circle around. And today you're going to learn something. You're going to learn. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your friend and say, you're going to learn. Go ahead, just tell them. You're going to learn. You're going to learn something today, right? Put that little Kevin Hart twist on it. You're going to learn. And then... Jesus began to teach them how to live a life that matters. Here we go. In verse 34, this is what he says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, if you're going to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You want to live a life that matters? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Let me ask you a question. What if Jesus had not done these things? What if Jesus had not denied himself? What if he had not taken up his cross? What if he had not passionately followed the call of God on his life? Would there be an ACF, Pastor Brian? No. Would you still be living broken, overwhelmed with guilt and and addicted to sin? Like the fact that Jesus himself denied himself, took up his cross and followed the call of God on his life... The fact that he lived that life is what makes him so significant in our lives. The fact that he decided that he, didn't, he wasn't the one who mattered most makes him a significant figure in our life. So let me flush these out with you just a little bit. He said, you got to deny yourself. So a while ago, I was chairing a meeting in the absence of my commander. He had asked me to chair this meeting. So I'm sitting at the head of the table, and I'm, I'm leading this meeting. And, and my commander walked into the room. And I looked at him, I said, sir, um, I have this. Um, you grab a seat at the side of the table. I'll carry on. <clears throat> I didn't say that. I'd be stupid. You know what I did when the, when the commander walked in? I got up out of my seat, and I went and took a seat at the side of the table. I excused myself from the head of the table and sat at the side. And let me just tell you, this is what we do when the leader walks into the room. We excuse ourselves from the leadership position, We deny ourselves that authority, and we sit at the side of the table. And this is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. He said, if you're going to follow me, if you want to do what I did, if you want to be someone who matters in this world, you excuse yourself, you deny yourself the position of authority, you sit at the side of the table, and you allow me to be the one who leads your life. Now, here's something interesting. I would bet that most of us in this room actually kind of like calling the shots in our lives, actually like being the deciding factor the, the, the deciding vote in our lives, because most of us have a pretty good grasp on how to live a successful life. Most of us make great decisions on about a 90% uh, basis, right? I mean, 90% of the time we're making great decisions, financially, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Am I right on that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we got an honest soul. God bless you. No, man. Come on, dude. Look at your history, right? And, and, and here's the thing, what I've found. Here's the thing that I personally, I, Paul Peterson, have discovered. That there is a leader who has stepped into my life and he's wiser, he's kinder, he has more resources, and he has a pretty doggone good grasp of the future. And he stepped into the room of my life and he would like to sit at the table. Now I have an option. I can say, hey Jesus, appreciate your presence, grab a seat to the side there and I'm going to continue to lead my life. Some of you in this room are doing that. Can I get a witness? Don't say it. Don't, don't witness on yourself. But you know what I'm saying. Some of you in this room are like, Jesus, I appreciate what you bring to the table, but grab a seat at the side. 
Jesus said, if you want to live a life that matters, if you want to be a significant player in your family's life, in your wife or your husband or your kids, in your, in, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, the first thing you have to do is you've got to step aside from the leadership position in your life and allow me to sit there. Deny yourself. And one. Then he said, I want you to uh, take up your cross. Now, I don't know. Like, like back in Jesus' day, like, people didn't walk around just carrying big pieces of wood on their back. Did you know that? Like, it wasn't a thing. Like, people didn't just randomly say, I'm going to go to the, grab some milk from the store, babe. Uh, first, let me grab my piece of wood. Right? It didn't happen like that. There was one group of people that carried crosses. Do you know who they were? Somebody yell it out. Criminals. Absolutely. So if you wore, if you carried a cross, immediately people would look at you. They didn't know your name. They didn't know your story. They didn't know your background. They didn't know anything about you, but they saw a cross. They're like, oh, he's one of those. You were marked as someone who was not part of the larger community. You were countercultural. You were one who had a cross. Let me just tell you something. This is exactly what Jesus is calling us, as his followers, to do. To be a little bit different. You know, when people see you and you're wearing your little ACF t-shirt or your big ACF t-shirt, depending on what your diet looks like these days, right? Um, when people see you in your ACF t-shirt, they're like, oh, he's one of those. She's one of those, right? This is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. Take up your cross, which means people are going to see you as one who's different. They may even judge you. Here's what, here's what happens. When you deny yourself and you give Jesus the leadership role in your life, you'll be misunderstood and you'll be judged, possibly. Friends and family may actually tell you to, uh, hey man, you've you got to take it down a notch. <laughs> you've got to relax. You're getting kind of weird. Right? And they're going to do it because you're living different. You're one of those. But Jesus says, if you want to live a life that matters, this is how it works. You deny yourself, you, you take up your cross, and then he said this, and then I want you to follow me. Now, who was Jesus speaking to when he said those words? Like, think about it, this group of people immediately around him. Who was he talking to? His disciples. Like, these are people who have already said, hey, Jesus, we're in. We're following you. But he looks at them and he says, I want you to follow me. Hey, there's an old hymn. You guys know what a hymn is? It's back when just guys wrote songs. <laughs> um, that was funny, y'all. <laughs> so there's an old hymn and there's a line in it that says, prone to wander. You all know this song? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Hey, I've been a Christian, so I'm 48. I've been a Christian for, I don't know, 20, a little over 20 years, 23, 24 years, something like that. And I've noticed, I hate this, but I've noticed that there are seasons, there are days, or maybe even seasons where I begin to get distracted. And I, I begin to try to take the seat back at the head of the table. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else do that in here? Yeah, good. <laughs> um, and Jesus looks at, at us, he looks at me, he looks at you, and he says, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my follower, then you got to follow me. you gotta, you got to line up behind me. you got to and you got to keep doing it. And that's why I looked at his followers and said, hey, my disciples, follow me. Always follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. This is how you live a life that matters. Okay? So Jesus says all this, but then he, he digs in and he begins to explain, here's why this matters. Here's why deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Here's why it matters. Look what he says. Verse 35. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What's it mean to save your life? Like in your head, what, what does it mean to save your life? Let's think about this. Do the best people save or give their lives? The, the people that just a couple minutes ago you said were the most significant individuals in your life, the ones who matter the most, did they save or give their lives? I would argue that the people who matter the most in your life are the ones who are willing to lose some of their life for you, who are willing to give up some of their life for you, and that's what made them matter the most. I mean, lots of people think, hey, I, I can't deny myself and 
take up my cross and follow Jesus full time, that just doesn't make good economic sense. I mean, I'll give him Sunday morning, right? I might hit up the old devotional app a couple times a week, but come on, man, I, I can't do this full time, like take up my, deny myself, take up my cross, follow Jesus. That just doesn't make good sense. Some people might say, I, I, can't, if I, I can't deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus. It's just too doggone hard to get promoted doing that. I can't deny myself and take up my cross and, and follow Jesus because that will definitely get me branded as a religious dude, and I'm not into that. You know, I don't want to be one of those guys. Again, I, I'm, I'm giving him Sunday, and I'll even volunteer. Pastor Brian, I'll even volunteer. How about that? All right. But Jesus seemed to think otherwise. His thinking was that the people who deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him are the ones who end up mattering the most. I mean, let me ask you a question. What if Jesus would not have taken up his cross and denied himself and followed the call of God in his life? Would he have mattered that much in our life, or would he have just been another, like, famous dude? You know what made Jesus matter so much? Is that he took his own advice. He denied himself. He stepped back and allowed God to call the shots in his life. He was willing to take up his cross, quite literally, he was willing to die. And that's what made him significant. That's what made him matter so, so much. And I would just say, I, I would bet a dollar that the people that you just talked about earlier in the service, the two to three people, I, I'll bet they don't have a massive social media following. I, I would bet that those individuals don't make every conversation about them. I'll bet the people who matter the most, every time you're around them, they're not talking about their success, are they? The people who matter the most in your life, they're the ones who listen to you. The people who matter the most in your life, they're the ones who, who are available to you when you're in need. The people who matter the most in their lives are the ones who are willing to lose some of their life, to give up some of their time, to give up some of their energy, to give up some of their resources in order to help you. And that's what made them matter so much in your life. Am I not right? Jesus is essentially saying, if you're willing to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you'll matter a lot. And, and then he went a little deeper. Like, what if you spend your life saving your life and building your platform and establishing your brand and ultimately becoming someone significant Here's Jesus' question to you. You've spent your life doing all that. Here's a question. What does it profit a man to gain the world and forfeit his soul? I mean, let's be honest right up front. Has anyone actually ever, ever gained the entire world? Right? You had everything in the world. Has anyone ever done that? The answer is no. Like, no one's ever gained the whole world. Now, there are people who have done well and, and been significant. But, so let's just for a moment, like, close your eyes. Have a moment with me here. Let's imagine that you accomplish all of your dreams. Like every dream that you have, you do it all. You have a ton of money. I mean, you are Jeff Bezos rich or Warren Buffett, who's ever number one right now. Like you're that rich. You have millions of followers on your social media. And you even get invited to sing on the stage at the Taylor Swift concert. And now you're living, right? Like you're there. And then one day you wake up and you realize... It's not enough. All right, y'all open your eyes now. It's not enough. Hey, y'all know who Jim Carrey is? Yeah. So um, he is one of the most famous comedians of all time, if you don't know. He has won tons of awards. He's an author. He has a net worth of more than $180 million. That's a lot of money, right? He's famous for saying this. Look at this on the screen. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's, read it with me please, not the answer. He said, I wish you could get everything you want. I wish you could get every, every financial goal, relational goal, physical goal. I wish you could get it all because when you do, you'll realize it's not enough. When I was 15 years old, I knew a lot of things. And, and one of the things I, I knew was that School was not for me, so I made the decision to drop out of school. And I ended up getting a GED through the military because I knew so much. And um, then I got my life straightened out, 
recommitted my life to Jesus. And uh, I went, and I, I had never graduated in my life, so I never went to a senior prom. I never, I never did any of that stuff. So like, well, I'll tell you what I need in my life is I need, uh, I need to graduate. So I went, and I got a bachelor's degree. And after having received the bachelor's degree, I realized, like, well, that, that wasn't what I thought it would be, you know. Um, so I said, well, I know what I need. I need a master's degree. So I went and got that. I got a master's degree. And I distinctly remember when I, when I received the diploma and I shook the hand of the president of the university. I, like, I, it was a very distinct moment where I was anticipating. I remember sitting in the seat thinking, like, when I get that degree, everything inside is going to feel good. And I shook his hand and nothing changed. Like, crap. Well, I know, I know what it is. <clears throat> I need another master's degree. So I did I went and got another master's degree. And once again, <clears throat> naively, at this point, stupidly, I, I sat in the seat and I thought, I, I remember this, I remember thinking, like, when I get this degree, I am going, something inside is going to feel full, it's going to feel right, it's going to feel good. I'm gonna... And I remember receiving the diploma, shaking his hand, and being devastated that I didn't get what I thought I was going to get. And I got great grades. I did all the right stuff. But it didn't give me what I thought it was going to give me. I just remember thinking, like, you've spent all of this energy. You've, you've gained everything you wanted. It's not enough. Hey, yeah, I mean, have you had that experience? Like, you got the goal. You, you did the thing. You, you achieved the benchmark. You, and at the end, when you're quiet and you're alone, you're like, huh, oh, that's cool. I got a, I got a tab. I, I got a diploma. I got a new car, I got whatever, but it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And that's what Jesus asked. What happens if you do that and it's not enough? And then he asked this question. This is important. Look at this question. What can a man give in return for his soul? So a couple years ago, my father died. And I remember standing at the casket and I looked at his body, but clearly there was something missing. Right? Have you had that experience? You've been at a funeral? You see the body? Clearly, there's something missing. Hey, what, what is it that's missing? Soul, your spirit, your life, energy. Like something's missing. Your soul is you. It's your life. It's your... What happens if you spend all of your time, your energy, your, your soul, acquiring your goal or, or gaining the world, and then you get it and you realize, oh my God, it's not enough. What can you do then to recover all that lost time? What can you do to recover all those lost resources? What can you do to recover your soul? Well, here, here's a little secret. You can't buy time back. You can't get that lost soul back. I mean, this is a rhetorical question. The answer is, what can a man give in return for a soul? Nothing. Time lost is time lost. Energy lost is energy lost. Listen, as a dad, one of my biggest regrets, we lived in South Carolina. And in South Carolina, I don't know if you know this, but they don't hardly ever get snow, right? Um, I, this is no joke. They have literally canceled school on the prediction of snow. And the next day, it, y'all are laughing. I mean, it's the truth, right? The next day it doesn't snow and everybody's like, well, what are we going to do now? I mean, we got kids, we're not going to work. But okay, so we get no snow in South Carolina. And one day it snowed. And it snowed enough to make a snowman. So at this phase of my life, I was starting a new church and I was very, very busy, right? I was, I was there, we were, we were renovating a building, and, and I was just pouring hours and hours and hours. I, there were many, many days I wouldn't even see my kids. I'd just be gone, 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 because I'm chasing a dream. I'm building a church. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to matter. I'm trying to be significant, right? And I remember on that day, my girls called me. They said, hey, Dad, do you want to build a... I love you guys. You know what I said? I said, I can't, buddy. I'm working. I see his pictures now. I see my wife and my little girls, and I'm not there. I can't ever change that. I hate it. I was chasing something. I was trying to matter. I was trying to significant, trying to be significant. I, I, I was trying to gain something, and I lost my soul in the process. And some of you in this room are having the same experience. 
You're chasing a dream, you're chasing a goal, you're trying to build a life, and in the process, you're losing your soul. You're losing your time. You're sacrificing your family, and you can't get it back. That's Jesus' question. What do you do if you gain the whole world and realize it's not enough? Can you then go back and get your soul back, get your time back, get your energy back? The answer is no. So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian wrote a poem. You all remember that? That's embarrassing me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, I wrote a poem myself. And it was going to be a competition, but since no one remembers your poem, I don't know. Some of you, here's my poem, some of you are losing your soul for a goal that won't make you whole, and you're going to regret it. You're chasing things that when you get them, they're not going to fulfill you. You're going to hate it, and you're not going to be able to get that time back. At the end of the day, it'd be terrible to do that and realize I've chased things that don't matter, and as a result, I am a man that doesn't matter, or a woman that doesn't matter. So Jesus says that. That was heavy, wasn't it? And then he says this to them in verse 38. He says, look, guys, whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This whole idea of don't be ashamed of Jesus, it's just the New Testament is is filled with those kinds of those, those admonitions. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't hide him. Don't forget him on Monday. Invite him to take the seat at the head of the table of your life. Don't miss opportunities to brag on him. He is the one who will lead you into a life that matters. He's the one. Don't be ashamed of him. At the end of the day, team, listen, let me just tell you this. My relationship with Jesus is the most significant game-changing force in my life. And I have a great life. I've been married to a beautiful woman for 26 years. I have beautiful daughters. Two of their boyfriends are here. Y'all give me a witness right now. <laughs> All right. All right. I get to preach today and jump out of a plane tomorrow. That's a good life. Okay? Amazing life. But the most significant force in my life has been Jesus Christ. Absolutely revolutionized my life. Don't miss him. So we've walked through a lot of information. And I want to boil it down for you. I want to give you one sentence. If you could remember one thing, I want to give you this sentence. You want to know how to matter more? Here it is. The way to matter more is to matter less. When my life is all about me, there's little room for others. And when there's little room for others, I simply won't matter that much. If I'm not giving my kids space someday when they're old, they're not going to have mattered that much. If I'm not giving my paratroopers space in the future, I'm not going to matter that much to them. If I'm not giving God space in the future, it's not like, you know? The more I focus on me, the more I focus on my desires and my way and my success and my plans, the less I matter. Because here's the truth. People don't like people who only think about themselves. Is that not true? Let me me give you a good quote. Y'all get your phones out because this is good. You don't want to take a picture of this. This is good. Lisa Kirk, here it is. A gossip is one who talks to you about others. A bore is one who talks to you about himself. Hey, just don't read anymore. Like, y'all been around that person? All they do is talk about themselves. You're like, good Lord, when does this end? You've been, you know that person? Are you that person? Like, don't be that person. Okay. But look at this. A brilliant conversationalist is one who talks to you about, say it, yourself. You want to matter more? Hey, don't be all about yourself. Matter less. And Jesus lived a life that mattered greatly. In hindsight, his is a significant life. He's the most significant force for many of us in this room. And he became significant because he chose to deny himself, take up his cross, and passionately and consistently follow the call of God on his life. And that's what made him matter. He matters most because he chose to matter least. And that's how you build a life that matters. I want to wrap up by, by sharing a story about Brawny Ware. Anybody know who Brawny Ware is in this room? Good. Brawny um, is a palliative care nurse, which means she spent, um, she spent time with people who were dying. She would go into their homes and, and often would spend the last weeks of, of their life she would be with them. 
And during her time in caring for them, she would ask them questions. They would talk, and, and she would ask them things like, hey, if you could do it over again, what would you do? If you have any regrets, like, what, what things do you regret? And, and she, over time, began to notice that there was a consistent pattern in the things they were saying to her. And she, she compiled those things into a book, published it, called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And today I'm going to tell you what they are. First, let me ask you a question. Do you ever wish or think to yourself, I wish I knew then what I know now? You ever think that to yourself? You think that to yourself? Yeah, I do too. I think, so I'm 48. I think, man, if I could go back to my 20-year-old self and, and tell myself some things about finances, good Lord, I'd be like a millionaire, you know? I wish I could go back and tell myself how to handle conflict. I wish I could tell myself how to go back and do some good leadership. I wish I could tell myself some things about relationships. I wish I could go back and tell myself. And, and now, I, I think, what will 60-year-old Paul say to 48-year-old Paul? What would he say to me today? I wonder about those things. And then I wonder, like, when I'm, when I'm an old man and I'm dying, what, if I could come back and talk to 48-year-old Paul, what would I say? I think Bronnie Ware gives us some insight into what we might say to ourselves now. Let me give them to you. The fifth most common thing she heard from people who were dying. I wish I'd let myself be happier. I'm not going to preach on this, but let me just tell you, some of you in this room are stressed. Oh my God, you're anxious. You're weighed down with things that you won't even remember six months from now. It's tearing up your family. It's destroying your home. You're becoming, you're becoming a, a curmudgeon. People aren't liking you because you're so stressed. When you're an old man, when you're an old woman, and you look at yourself, are you going to say, I wish I'd let myself be happier? Probably. The fourth most common regret, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. The third most common regret, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. You need to tell somebody you love them, you need to do it. You forgive them, go do that. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Again, gosh, some of you in this room, you're grinding, you're getting after it, and you're going to wake up one day and see that picture of your kids and your wife, but you weren't there. Was it worth it? And the number one regret of people who were staring death in the eye was this. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Gang, God has created you as a unique and beautiful individual. He's calling you to live a life that matters. He's calling you to be a significant player in relationships, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your church. He's calling you. And Jesus showed you how. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him passionately, consistently. You're going to face opposition. Remember, Peter pushed into Jesus and said, no, 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 this isn't how it's done. In hindsight, it is how it's done. Don't buy into what the world is saying. Be countercultural, man, lady. Listen to the teaching of the most significant man ever, Jesus. Listen to the wisdom of people who are staring death in the eye when they say that the best way to live a life that matters is to be matter less, less about me, more about follow Jesus, love people, be useful. Let me quickly give you four action steps to help you process our conversation today. Number one, Decide today to follow Jesus and live a life that matters. Hey, some of you in this room dance with the idea, but you've never fully committed. I just tell you, I'm just one dude, all right? I'm just Paul. But I want to tell you the best decision I've ever made is Jesus. Revolutionized my life. And I would just invite you to consider this. It's a great way to, it's a great way to live your life if you want to live a life that matters. Number two, deny yourself. I mean, I, I would encourage you to establish a regular business meeting with Jesus in which you say to him, hey, just so you know, that seat at the head of the table is yours. Like, you are the leader in my life. You know, and if I ever find myself back in that position, I'm going to excuse myself. I'm going to deny myself and give that back to you. You are my leader. Number three, take up your cross daily. Daily ask yourself, whose opinion of me is shaping me? Is it God's opinion? Is it the people around me who are telling me to calm down and chill out? Hey, listen, if Jesus would have followed Peter's advice, none of us would be here today. 
Regularly ask yourself, whose opinion is shaping the way I live my life? And finally, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. I mean, even if you are a Christian, follow Jesus. Like daily ask yourself this. Would Jesus say this? Would he do that? Would he listen to this? Would he go there? How would he handle this conflict? How would he handle this most recent uh, frustration that I find myself in the middle of? How would he do it? And then do that. Let's follow Jesus. So we're getting ready to sing some songs. And as we sing these songs, we're going to hear the word blood a lot. Christians talk about blood a lot. It's a little weird, but we do. Blood represents the sacrifice of Jesus. It represents the death of Jesus. It re- represents what he said. He said, hey, listen, there's coming a day I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die. But then I'm going to be raised from the dead. And as we sing these songs, I want you to just remember, Jesus matters so much because he chose to matter less. And we are here today, and we're changed because of what he did. And he invites us today into this resurrection life that he now lives. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this moment. We get to be in your presence, surrounded by these beautiful people here in this amazing facility. We want to matter. It's healthy. It's normal. There's a right way to do it. It's the way you did it. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Passionately and consistently follow Jesus. Father, I pray in these next few moments as we sing that you'll help us to to make some serious decisions about how much we matter and how we're going to live out a life of significance. We ask, Father, that your presence would be strong in this room. In the name of Jesus, amen.